Gold Cord by Amy Carmichael. The preview to chapter 11 of Gold Cord. O Savior Christ, who could forget the crown of thorns, the tortured hours? But on thy brow there shall be set a crown of fadeless flowers. And may we bring our flowers to crown the love that won at Calvary. Down in the grass they grow low down, the least of flowers that be. Immortal love, thy sun and showers have swept our field. Oh, take thine own, thy little flowers, thy love's own flowers, dear Lord, to make thy crown. Psalm 132, 18. On himself shall his crown flourish, ever inflorescent as a flower. K. Chapter 11, How We Grew. We grew up from the first very simply, like a family. We were always, as it were, parts of one another. And that's from Ephesians 4.25. In the ideal Indian family, each member lives for the good of the household. And we work together in this way and never as employer and employees. The children called their sisters Akal, which means older sister. English women, when they came, Siti, mother's younger sister. And later, brothers, Indian and English, Anechi. The word connotes a chival chivalrous thought of brotherly protection. We found, as we went on, that our way of life was like a transparent shield about us. People came to us thinking it would be pleasant to join us. We could not discern their motives, but they looked a while, and if they were not in sympathy, they went away. Long afterwards, when our father's purpose was revealed, we thanked him for leading us so. I lean upon no broken reed nor trust an untried guide. The words were often with us then, will be with us to the end. There are pitfalls in this particular pathway. We who walk there know them well. Things are sure to happen which will drain the heart of human hope. But the hallmark of the true missionary, the good Lord made it ours, is refusal to be weakened or hardened or soured or made hopeless by disappointment. His only absorbing passion was to press on. Gardner of Cairo wrote of his friend Douglas Thornton. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The great prayer shines like a lamp in moments of windy confusion and the murky air of uncertainty. At the end of the day, grieving things slip out of sight. One forgets the pricking thorn and remembers only the dewy rose. And going on with him, we find that in him is the secret of continuance and the secret of recovery too, after any disappointment, after any defeat. At first, we built nurseries of sun-dried bricks with earthen floors and thatched roofs. But we found that too much time had to be spent in keeping the termites out of the walls. The weekly treatment required by earthen floors 
also took more time than we had to give, and thatched roofs were unsafe, for the conversion of anyone from among the caste people may, in these parts, be countered by the flinging of a lighted rag onto the thatched roof of the offender. So, when money came to enable us to do it, we used burnt brick and tiles. But the rooms are Indian, unfurnished, save for cupboards, brass vessels, and, according to the nice upper-class habit of the South, grass mats for beds. And the red-tiled floors are kept shiny by constant washing. Later on, we found shells on the beach at Cape Comorin and water-worn wood like carved work by the river in the forest, and the children learned to dress their rooms with this inexpensive loveliness. Before the children came, we were continually camping in tents, mud huts, or tumble-down old bungalows, and we never stopped to grow even a flower. But after they came, we had to make home for them, so things were different. And because we know that beautiful things are dear to God, look deep into beauty and you see him there. And that ugly, vulgar, coarse things are ajar like a false note in music. We chose, when we had the choice, the beautiful, not the ugly. Someone, the angels perhaps, had planted trees up and down the field for us. We cherished those trees. And flowers began to grow where only scrub had been. And gradually the place became sweet and green, almost as though it offered coolness. And the bare red blot on the bare, hot plain changed to something pleasant to the eye and beloved, at least to ourselves. From the first, the children did the work of the compound. We teach them to keep their little world or orderly because of the cloud of witnesses. We had always much singing, and silence counted with us too. We found that the children could learn to understand silence. We had a minute silence before beginning our worship together, and often a pause somewhere in the middle. It could never be long, because there were so many who were very small. The day from 5 a.m. until 10 p.m. was divided among us, each taking certain hours for prayer, not the whole hour, but whatever space could be given. And a prayer bell, a disc of metal hung under a tree, was struck hour by hour. From the first, we found that even very little children used the bell with a sweet and simple confidence. As we went on continually asking that the ways of prayer might be open to us, we learned that the kind of intercession that is like a musical chord, every note in harmony with every other, and all seeking to be tuned perfectly to the keynote, the will of our great intercessor, is something worth guarding at any cost. There is an uplifting influence in such prayer together, uplifting. It is the perfect word. His faith exerted upon me an uplifting influence like the tides of lifting ships. We found prayer choruses uplifting too. Years afterwards, we sent a few of these out in a small book called Wings, but they could only be a few 
and the music which wings the words could not always be given. We grew into a kind of prayer that is, for us at least, very helpful. We ask to be led by the Holy Spirit from point to point, each prayer leading on from the preceding prayer till the particular subject laid on our hearts has been dealt with, and we have the assurance that the Lord will complete all, as K translates Psalm 138.8. This way of prayer is just the opposite to the kaleidoscope kind, which darts hither and thither all over the earth or over a number of scattered interests, often within the limits of a single long prayer, leaving the mind which has tried to follow perhaps dazzled, perhaps tired. It is a much simpler thing. Such prayer is often brief. It is often silent, or it may take the form of song, and we are lifted up as with wings to our Lord's feet. It is possible only when all who are praying together do thoroughly understand one another are indeed as one instrument under the control of the Spirit of God, who moves on each severally as he will, or unites all in silence or in song. Such prayer asks for something not easily defined. Darby's translation of Exodus 23, 21, be careful in his presence, comes to mind as a word that expresses its quietness and awe and the jubilant psalms show its joy. The habit of having a settled prayer, prayer day, once a month was a great help. It led to something which we could not do without now. Occasional extra days when we plan so that the many whirling wheels of our busy world shall run down as much as possible and we be set free to give ourselves to prayer. Do not be so busy with work for Christ that you have no strength left for praying, said Hudson Taylor once. True prayer requires strength. To secure even half a day's quiet in a large family like ours needs careful planning beforehand, but it is worth that. Again and again, things have happened after such a day that nothing we could have done could have affected, for prayer is truly force. So when the constraint is upon us, we yield to it, believing it to be of God. Sometimes to one or another, privately this compulsion comes and we have a quiet room set apart for this purpose. No one goes there except for quietness. When it comes to all, then, after we have had some time alone, we meet as on our usual prayer day, and this way of being together in prayer is a strand in our gold cord. It was not long before we began to understand the reality of the authority often exercised, especially at night by the evil one, our enemy, upon the minds of these lightly delivered from his prison house. So far as we knew, the babies were not affected, but older children and converts were. If strong threads of affection bound the heart to anyone in the old life, then there would be at times distress, apprehension of trouble there, perhaps a vivid dream revealing it in tangible form. The immaterial became material, 
and the material appearing in the immaterial stuff of dreams disturbed and sometimes seriously injured the life of the one thus strained. Often we heard afterwards of what had been happening just at that time, hundreds of miles away. Miles matter nothing where spirit forces play and were able to trace the influence to its source. Tuesdays and Fridays, the nights given up to demon worship for thousands of square miles in the South, seemed to ask for special guarding by prayer for the throb of tom-toms which filled the air and the weird cries of the worshipers were, some were sometimes reminiscent and sounds like scents have extraordinary recalling power, but any night might hold a need. For all such conditions, we found just one sure antidote, the peace of God. Let the will close down the door on the old life with its allures, its pictured memories. Let the last thoughts before falling asleep be set on him, the eternal keeper who neither slumbers nor sleeps. Let some hymn or psalm or calming promise or assurance fill the last conscious moments and the spell will be broken. An old prayer, Sir Thomas Brown's, is, a, is as sure of an answer in an Indian room tonight as it was in an English home 300 years ago. While I do rest, my soul advance, make me to sleep a holy trance that I may, my rest being wrought, awaken to some holy thought. And now and here, as always everywhere, there is one whom the winds and waves obey, and he draws near to the frightened soul and says, It is I, be not afraid. And when he is as near as that, the weakest of his little children sleeps peacefully and is almost sure to awaken into some holy thought. Were they ever naughty? You know, dear children, you are in a beautiful garden, but the serpent entered the Garden of Eden, remarked an excellent friend one day in the course of a Sunday address, and he thought that he was giving them information. There was, I fear, an impious chuckle in more than one small soul, though to our relief, the upturned faces were suitably demure. Did they not know that? Why, of course, snakes love gardens. And as for the serpent who entered the Garden of Eden, they know him only too well. But even so, the garden helped. A carelessly disobedient child would be sent to find a disobedient plant, one whose leaves ought to grow alternately or opposite, or in whirls, and which disobeyed its law. A destructive child would be told to stick on the leaf it had plucked off from pure wantonness, a deplorable habit too common here. For punishments were various. A quarrelsome child had a deer's horn tied around her neck, or, if very small, was put in a barrel out of which she could not climb and in which she soon tired of her own company. And sometimes persistent offenders were given switches and told to go out and fight it out. This always ended in laughter. 
Two fables often came to mind in those first days when we were perplexed by diverse advisors, for we found that both books and people differed considerably about the proper way to bring up children. Then we thought of Aesop's old man and his donkey. And when we hardly dared to do anything for fear of doing wrong, the mother bear story found in Rosa Barrett's life of Elise Hopkins was delightfully in point. Shall I, said the bear cub's mother, bear cub to his mother, move my right paw first or my left, or my two front paws together, or the two hind ones, or all four at once, or how? Leave off thinking and walk, grunted the old bear. So in a great simplicity, we tried to let the children grow as the green things about them grew, not too closely regarded, not pulled up at frequent intervals, to see how they were getting on. And there was always the hope that they would be part of the crown of flowers that our Lord would wear one day. End of chapter 11.